podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's got to 2-2 and we've still got more than half an hour to go. And here's Ozil. Lacazette. Ozil! Baby, welcome to the party. Huh? I hit the boy up and then I go skating around it. Baby, welcome to the party. Pick some of that. Give me lit. Gun on my One in the head. Send in the clip. Baby. Baby, baby. Baby, don't trip. Just lower your tone. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Touchy Gooners podcast. Um, you've got myself on hosting duties, Dan Coogs. Um, joining me, uh, we've got German Dan and Sean. Seen a, lot of you, seen a lot of you guys this week, man. How you guys doing? Too, too much of me, man. The missus is, is moaning, bro. You're seeing far too much of me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, all good. So, off the back of a, a nice little nice little 4-2 victory against Leeds, um, you know, there was a lot of a lot of good good positives, you know, in the, in that match. Um, let's let's start with the with the lineup. I think the most interesting part of that that game, I think, was probably the starting lineup that Arteta went with. You know, um, Nicolas Pepe uh, dropped to the bench after some some good form. We have to admit, um, even ever so reluctantly, um, and replaced by Martin Odegaard in the starting lineup. Obviously, Danny Sabas had to come in for the injured party, and I think the rest of the team basically. Um, picked itself but um yeah uh Sean what did you think about you know that starting lineup and the fact that he went with you know the three sort of creative players behind uh Aubameyang in number nine I was I was uh, I was very happy with it I remember speaking um after the Villa defeat I said I would like to see that trio trial behind Dobber um and I think bar um party and teeny missing I think that's very very close to being Arsenal's strongest first team um, we've spoken a lot about, you know, um, Aubameyang needing to go back down the middle. Um, obviously, he's a very low-touch centre-forward, but we said the, the easiest way to get around having a low-touch centre-forward is to fill in with high-touch players around. Um, so, you know, with ESR, Saka, Odegaard all rotating um, in positions around him, um, you have more of a f- fluid, dynamic um, front line, which, which I think helped, you know, pull leads out of position who go man-to-man a lot as well. And I also think... Um, the way um, they they can double up, you know, ESR and Saka can sometimes be forwards, but also midfielders. And, you know, um, 
you know how heavy Leeds press, they're probably the most intense team in the league, but how they sort of tucked in into their positions. Um, and that helped Xhaka and Ceballos to create overloads as well. So we had, you know, sometimes four or five players in the middle in the central area. So um, it could help to eliminate and pick out, you know, quick passes through the lines. That would um, evade Leeds' press, which I think was good. And I think it really, really worked uh, a treat well in the first half as well. Um, so, yeah, I think credit to Arteta because I think the game plan was spot on and it was executed pretty much almost pretty much to perfection in the first half. Yeah, fair play. And Dan, um, how, do, how do you think that, how do you think it worked out? Um, and do you think that's something that we can see, you know, going forward again? Yeah, I think stylistically, I really liked the front four um, and the idea behind all four of them playing. Um, the positions that took up was were good as well. I, what I really liked was the movement of someone um, going into a certain space, carrying out an action, and another person got kind of moving into the space that's been vacated. That pulled Leeds defence all over the shop and um, confused them quite a lot. Um, it was good and it resulted in the the first of young goal, for example. Um, so I like that. And we didn't see that kind of fluidity or any changing of positions too tough. And um, the season of the test, so this was, was really the first time this season where I thought we looked like a more fluid outlet going forward. And there was literally an emphasis of moving more freely in the final third and um, to good effect. I even think we weren't even that clinical in, 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 a, in our chance creation. I think there's still a few levels up um, with, with the players that we have there playing. But still, the way they played um, resulted in facilitated a lot of situations. And yeah, um, Leeds keeper weren't good, but we got into a lot of hopeful positions and good dangerous positions. And um, yeah, totally deserved to be um, up by four and very early in the game. Um, so yeah, I, I did like that first half in particular. Mm, yeah, I think um, it was definitely very encouraging because I feel like before the game, I was saying, you know, if we if this if we can't put chances and create a lot of chances against this Leeds team, you know, we're in serious trouble. Because I remember the the, the away leg uh, or the away game, I should say, when we played them, we we were very very poor in that match. You know, we couldn't string three four passes together, and we we barely created anything. I think when Saka came on um, in the second half. Uh, even down to 10 men, I think that, you know, he, he made a few things happen. But, you know, we really, we basically just couldn't get out of our half in that match. So I, I definitely wanted to see, you know, whether or not this Arsenal team has come come on leaps and bounds in, in contrast to that, um, that previous uh, match. So I think the fact that we were able, you know, to, to basically play Leeds at their own game um, in this match, you know, we pressed the hell out of them. Their keeper was just under duress in that first half, probably one of the biggest disaster classes you're going to see from a keeper this season. You know, I think he was at fault for um, three of the, the first three goals, you know, like uh, he was, he was very bad um, in this game. Uh, and I think that was to us because um, in the first, in the first time we, we seen him and we played against him, he didn't, he didn't really have anything to do. So I definitely was encouraged by the way we were playing. And I feel like, you know, if, we do play that way and play on the front foot and try and press other teams high. I feel like we'll get a lot more joy uh, from that this season. I feel, I feel like, um, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel like that's definitely a possibility. Um, I think one thing that is, I guess, surprising to me um, because early in the season, you know, this Xhaka and Ceballos midfield partnership was one of the main reasons why people were saying, you know, uh, we're not able to be to play on the front foot and to press high. Um, and I, I'm looking at that team 
And I, I, I definitely agreed with that notion, you know, that I felt like Sabas and Jaka, they weren't able to cover the ground early in the season. And therefore, that was one of the drivers behind Arteta deciding to play this sort of this deep block football, uh, 3-4-3 uh, hybrid system and, and not really play on the front foot. So how like what do you think has changed to allow us to now be more front-footed with this midfield partnership? Um, Dan, I'll start with you. I think um, generally the spacing, um, we're more pushed up now. We're we're further up the pitch, and um, where we where we start um, or we would try to start our build up, and then also the the approach to the game. I think um, and and the recipients in the final third. Um, if you remember at the time, how many people did we have in the final third that could get the ball mm. under pressure, turn and carry our actions? You know me, I was shouting for Uzo to play for, for exactly that reason because I didn't want to see Willock, Pepe or Bamiyang, do you know what I mean, playing. And then Lacazette does it to some effect, but not, I wouldn't say great effect. And now we, it's a complete difference. And basically in affirmation as well, um, to note, Saka wasn't in the final third. He was in the first and second place and entering the final third. So he wasn't a recipient. He was someone that would come onto the ball once, we, once we've established some territory in the final third. So now we have Saka receiving the final third. We have ESR receiving the final third, and also um, Udegaard. So that's all, that's that's three recipients. Whereas before it probably was just Lacazette, to be honest. And that is a major, major difference. And then if you then add on to it as well that we are pushing up the pitch more, that the emphasis is now on a different playing style and finding the players between the line quickly. We are able to sustain and retain possession better and able to recycle attacks, keep possession and and affect better. And then when the ball breaks down. Because we are not playing over long distances anymore, we're playing over shorter distances, the players can now quickly win the ball back. They don't necessarily have to cover big spaces. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a few points, actually, that have resulted to us now playing better. And, um, yeah, um, it's, it's, we are finally here where we can play. We have a good basis of actually playing football and a template that we can carry on and say, OK, now we can add pieces because before... The template wasn't wasn't good, but now it is good, and um, we can now add the right pieces, and it should take us up a few levels. Mm. Mm. And Sean, so staying on the sort of the kind of the same topic um, on Jack and Sabios, right? But there's been news coming out this week that Sabios is available for twenty two million pound, um, or and and I've seen certain reports unconfirmed that uh, Arsenal have actually you know sort of started the the the, the motions to sign. To sign him for that twenty-two million pound, like, what do you think about that move? And do you think for that for that price, that's a that's a good move to make, good, a move that we should be making, or do you think we should be sending him back to Madrid? So, so for the price, generally, that's not it's not a lot of money. However, I I feel like we can and we should be doing better. Um, to to sort of Dan's point, you know, um, Jacker and Sabios were very very good on Sunday, but they were helped by a variety of reasons. Obviously. We're definitely playing uh, a completely different style to how we were earlier on in the season. We're much more pushed up. If you look back to the first half, you know, Gabriel and Louise were basically um, operating on the halfway line. So that, in in, in essence, um, allows Xhaka and Sabayos to push forward a bit more, um, compress the space um, that's that's in front of them. And, you know, that was partly of, of what helped to keep Leeds back. Also that and the fact that, you know, we had three half-space players. So they had more targets, even though I'm not... Um, I still have my reservations on both athletically, um, but they had more targets to pick out, which to be fair to them, um, they didn't have earlier on in the season at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point on Tobias, I 
I'm not convinced by him. Uh, both, I, I feel like we need to go a different way in midfield. Um, we need completely different profiles to him and Shaka. So um, I wouldn't be totally keen on him because obviously I already expect Shaka to be here next season, and I think we need to upgrade on him already. So, um, so when you then add Sabios on top, um, you can pretty much also guess when if if you do that, you're not you're not going to have any other midfield signing. Basically, they'll probably just end up promoting disease. And those will be the four um, central options they go with in midfield. And whilst that it's okay, those options we we need better. Do you know what I mean? So um, it might, yeah, it, it depends on what's happening in front of them. But I still think it's not enough in comparison to what our rivals have. So yeah, to answer your question, no, I wouldn't sign him unless like he'd have to show me. He'd have to be pretty much almost the best player in every game from now to the end of the season for me to change my mind. Mm. Um, so yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't his his teammate Odegaard that obviously I would love to sign instead of him. Right, so it's an interesting interesting uh, topic this because uh, I think Fabrizio said um, on on his podcast today uh, I saw some tweets uh, saying that uh, with Lucas Torreira Arsenal are definitely going to look to to move him on, um, but with Matteo Guendouzi. Um, you know, they said that they're gonna, you know, play it by ear uh, and see see what happens, right? So it looks like there's a potential avenue for Genduzi to come back into the squad, and I feel like if Genduzi's coming back, I personally feel like he can do the role of what Sabas is providing, and I think there's probably a little bit more scope for him to do it to a higher level than Danny Sabayos. Um, I don't think there's too much of a difference between the two players in all honesty so if there's a possibility of Genduzi coming back potentially signing a new contract and staying for a longer uh, period of time I personally would prefer to do that than you know spend 22 million pound on Ceballos probably that you're going to get from the sale of Lucas Torreira um, I would like to see that money then invested into a different type of midfielder because I feel like you know you, if if you do have your Xhaka and your party you've got two um, I guess first phase midfielders there, and then Genduzi I feel can be a first and second phase midfielder, um, and then I personally would like to see a, 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 an investment go into a midfielder who can play in that second and third phase and give you that more of a you know box to box action, but similarly to what Party does, but I think have more um, emphasis on the final third action uh, and contributing to the top end of the pitch because I feel like that would help um, creativity as well. So. Yeah, definitely uh, a position to watch, Dan. I don't know if you want to add anything to to that. Yeah, I very much agree with um with both of you points. Um, I think twenty million on on Sabias are misutilized funds. To be honest, I think he's a decent player, a player with flaws. However, um, same as Gondizi. Gondizi's but Gondizi is a young player. With he's already an Arsenal player. Um, also some flaws. Both both are predominantly playing in the first and second phase. I think Sabias is better in the first phase, um, receiving and bringing the ball out. I give him that. I think in the second phase, he's not as good as um, Gunduzi, and he also doesn't take the game to the opponent like Gunduzi quite does. Um, I, 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 I say this a few times. I said this a few times. I think speed of play is a big, big thing in my opinion. And um, Sabias at times can play quickly, but I think he just has this natural tendency to just take that extra touch, do that extra turn. And um, so he's just not quite a player that I would like um, for the style of football that I like. Um, I would not, I would not be signing him, and I would, I would go in, into a similar route that you've described. And 
Sunday centre midfielder that has physical and technical capabilities that um, that really make him transitional in the second and third phase. So someone that can get the ball, he passes a one-two, and then he can go past this man. Like someone that can create separation that way and can kind of um, destabilise um, midfield lines that way. I think we really need someone like that, that that can do that through dribbling and moving off the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think I would look for that type of profile rather than a Sabayas or Ganduzi who are similar, who are ball to feet and passing out kind of guys. So um, keep one of them or, um, or or get rid of both. I, I don't mind, but just find me something different. Uh, we have Partey now. It's, it's obviously important to keep him fit. Um, I think Xhaka has shown that he um, that he's always fit, basically, so he's always available. Um, I, I don't see the I don't see the need in investing that money into survivors. We have more pressing needs in the team. Mm. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, some really good points there, guys. Um, so I guess like, moving on to some other, I guess, key performers uh, in this Leeds game. Hector Bellerin got himself on the score sheet. I think his first uh, league goal of the season. Um, now, uh, it's a it's a funny performance, I think, to try and evaluate because obviously he got his goal um, and I think well done to him for doing that. Uh, and I feel he, he popped up into a lot of positions as he always seems to to really do. Um, he always seems to really do, you know, when we're attacking down that right-hand side. Um, but for me, I feel like, you know, um, a few of his final passes were wayward um i felt that they were very wayward against uh villa in the previous game and uh you know on the defensive side of things he was suspect again and i think he was at fault for their you know second goal um lead so like personally i see this as a big upgrade opportunity i know that the team does have some you know needs elsewhere but in terms of planning for this summer Right, where would you guys look to, you know, strengthen and change the team around? And is right back, you know, one of those places? Um, Dan, I'll start with you on this one. And yeah, um, uh, and I mean, you discussed this um, on the on the Patreon piece as well, showing us that as well. But yeah, for me, um, Hector Bellerin, very upgradable player, and right back is a, in my opinion, is actually a priority. And uh, the more I look at the way we're playing, the importance of fullbacks nowadays, um, how much we have missed Tierney's. And Tierney's threat. Um, and then Bellerin offers us a threat, but the threat is not as consistent and it's also not as devastating. So uh, I just need two fullbacks who are very capable. Liverpool have this, Liverpool have this, uh, a lot of the good teams always have two very capable and good fullbacks, and I need that at Arsenal. Um, and I just don't think Bellerin is of, of the, the, the desired quality, both offensively and defensively. Even though he gives some offensively, I, I will not take that away. I do think um, his touch is sloppy at times and the final passes are sloppy. Um, I need better, man. Um, so I would definitely upgrade a right back. I, I view um, potentially left wing as, 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 a, as, a, as, a, um, as a very um, uh, interesting position to upgrade on or um, add someone into it. Um, I think if we can keep Odegaard, um, that would be great. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Pepe. Um, I think I'm guessing he's going to stay. I do think that we should move on. Will, will should move Willian on though. So I think there should be we should do something on the wings. Basically, there is some maneuver um, on the wings, and there's also some 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 question marks of a personnel. And then in midfield, we said I wouldn't sign Tobias. I'd probably bring back Gunduzi. I'd, I'd, I'd get Terreira out as well. I utilize the funds to buy. Uh, a centre midfielder and um, definitely don't buy a centre back. I know we've been linked with them. Uh, just bring Saliba back and let the guy play. Yeah, don't judge him after one or two training games. So yeah, 
Um, I will I will do that. Um, I think right back, centre midfield and left wing for me. And up top, I think if Lacazette or uh, actually I would sell Lacazette and Eddie. So we need to sign a striker. I would, I would, I, I don't know what the what what proper I would go for now right now to be honest because it really depends on if Balogun stays or not. If Balogun stays, I would go for an experienced sort of target man that just comes in as a second option. If Balogun goes, I would maybe look at a um, maybe a different profile, um, like maybe a, a younger, mobile target man, um, because we can play Martinelli for the middle too. So it really depends on the manoeuvres that and then outgoings that we have got. Um, but really, centre midfield, left wing, and right back for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think very, very, very fair points. And Sean. Um, what are your thoughts on on what we do uh, in the summer now we start planning the team? Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think um, right back is upgradable. I probably uh, don't think Mikel Arteta sees it that way. Um, I think he's very, very keen on both Granit Xhaka and Hector Bellerin. Um, so, and and even I guess if from from what it looks like, and you know we've got a big enough sample size to see now, he likes his left back to play on the outside too get down the wing and put crosses in, whereas obviously the right back, um, the role of, of Bellerin is to underlap a bit more and almost play as another midfielder, you know, similar to how Jao Cancelo plays at City. Obviously, Jao Cancelo does it to a much higher level and I do feel, I'm not even sure who who, who it would be because, um, you know, you get names like Hakimi, but Hakimi is more a traditional, you know, someone who's going to stay on the touchline rather than, you know, someone who's going to play a bit more on the inside as a as an extra auxiliary midfielder. Um so it, it, it'd be interesting to see who, if that was a, an option for Arteta, who we target there. Um, definitely agree on centre mid. If it was down to me, I would completely, re- that would be where I spend as much money as possible. Um, I would get rid of Xhaka, I would get rid of Ceballos, but I know that's probably too much work to do in one summer, especially as um, Torreira is likely to go. Um, it was interesting for Brizio talking about um, Guendouzi. I, I really struggle to see him coming back. Like, I just don't think Arteta wants him to be fair. So, it, it would be a shock to for me to see if he came back because um I feel like if Arteta was really like keen on him and he was willing to put aside, you know, what happened before, I think he would have done that already. Um and he wasn't included in any preseason games. He was pretty much just training like alone with Urzul. So I'd I'd I would very it would have to be a, a an astronomical change. I expect him to go, if I'm to be totally honest. I think we will sell um both Torreira and Guendouzi in the summer and we'll have Xhaka and Party as first choice and we'll either sign Ceballos or someone else. So I think we'll sign a centre midfielder in the summer. Who it will be, I don't know. But I think he's planning pretty much now to, you know, have Xhaka and Party as his base for next season and um, probably have a midfielder that can rotate in with them and then he'll probably promote um, Big Well as he's from the youth system. Um, offensively, I would go for two two different targets. So yeah, I would get another playmaker in to play with and rotate with ESR. So for me, I, I didn't need to see much of Odegaard to be convinced. I've seen him loads before. I, I'm already sold. Like he does For me, he doesn't need to show me much else. Like I, I know the qualities there. Um, and it's more about, you know, whether he can handle the, the rigours and the intensity of this league. And he's not going to play many more um, intense teams than Leeds. So, yeah, if he can handle Leeds, I think he will be, obviously, the top, the the target for him will be to reproduce that, you know, every three to four days. So we'll have to see how he, how his body holds up. Um, but if he can do that, 
I would, yeah, I would be getting on the phone to Ron Richard and trying to make that a deal. And then secondly, yeah, I agree with Dan. I think left wing, um, because for me, I, I don't really, I don't like strikers on the wing at all. I think it, it's necessary that we can build up through either wing, um, you know, and not have one wing redundant. So, yeah, um, I don't want Aubameyang using his key years running up and down the touchline. So, We've paid him the money, we've invested in him, just put him through the middle and find a way to make it work with him as a centre forward. So, um, and we we saw a, a sort of a blueprint for that. So, yeah, I would, um, Jack Grealish would be the ideal target. I very much doubt that's possible. But, you know, I think um, a wide playmaker of some sorts who can do, who can come in and combine, but who also has one-on-one capability. So, yeah, you know, sort of like a Pedro Neto I like as well. Um, obviously, we've been linked with Manuel Solomon, I think, from Shakhtar Donetsk. I've not seen a lot of him, but he seems to have that sort of profile. Um, so, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you guys basically covered it covered it all, man, for summer. And I feel like um, probably just given the way that Tierney um, has been missing and has this propensity to go missing uh, due to injuries, it might be interesting to see whether or not uh, we go ahead with that backup left back. I think there was this sort of the young guy um, linked from Hibernian. I can't say that I've watched him, but I feel like with fullback, um, Scotland and the championship and, you know, the the football league, I think it's probably a great place to shop at the moment. So I feel like, you know, the, the fundamentals that they're developing in these divisions about pace, um, power, and technique, I feel like if you look at some of the fullbacks that have come up from the championship and, and from other divisions in recent years, you know, they're 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 high quality. You know, um look at the likes of James Justin, uh, Max Aarons. Um, I'm not that high on him, but I think he's he's a He's got some good uh, good attributes. Uh, his partner from last season, um as well, Jamal Lewis, I think has good attributes. Yeah, Matty Cash as well. Um and so, you know, I feel like there is a lot of fullback talent. Um, there's that guy that Bayern Munich have just bid for as well. Um, uh, that's that's going from QPR, I believe, on the free transfer. Oh, is it Richards? Um, something Richards? Yeah, Omar Richards or Omari Richards or something like that. So, you know, I feel like there is fullback talent around there and you don't necessarily have to break the bank. So if you can, you know, go and find the cheap uh, backup for um, Kieran Tierney that isn't, you know, over 30 and going to command a high wage. I think that should be um, high on the, the priorities as well. So um, we'll leave part one uh, there for now. Um, and then we'll be back with part two uh, very shortly with um, a special guest, hopefully. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to um, part two, where I'm very pleased to announce that we've got a very special um, guest with us uh, 
for this recording. Um, uh, most of you will know him by a different name, uh, quite quite big name in the Arsenal community, as we were just saying, you know, um, a very big uh, Arsenal blogger, probably one of the biggest um, there. So uh, thank you for coming on, Pete, um, a.k.a. Le Grove. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, guys, thank you for having me on. I, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of your work. I'm, I'm excited to, to, to be part of your show today. I think you, you do a great job. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, thanks. Thanks a lot, man. Um, and so, yeah, if we get straight into it, Pete, um, I wanted to look ahead to uh, the Benfica match. Um, so I guess it's, it's a pretty tough draw. Um, I was looking through a lot of the teams in the Europa League. There are some big, big teams in the, in the Europa League this season. Obviously, you've got the English sides um, there, Spurs, United, Leicester, um, all above us in the table. Um, you've got some of the big hitters uh, in some of the other countries. So Sociedad had a very good campaign in La Liga last year. Uh, Benfica themselves, um, I think Leverkusen are in there as well. And there's a few other names dotted about. So, you know, no easy route to the final this year, it looks like. Um, so ahead, looking ahead to Benfica, how do you think we should approach this game? Because obviously we've got, you know, Man City on the Sunday straight after. So, yeah. Yeah, such a tough one. I think... Um... I think we've got to take it seriously, right? Benfica, Benfica finished second in the group in the group stages to Rangers. They won three, and I think they lost. Uh, sorry, and they drew three. Uh, so I don't think that they're at their strongest. They're fourth. Uh, they were fourth last time I checked in the table, which isn't uh, particularly impressive for them. And I, I don't think the Benfica fans are very happy with what's going on. And I'm glad that we're playing Benfica because the name is prestigious and. I still have flashbacks to Ostersons uh, when Potter was managing them. Like, I, I feel like if we've been served up an easy game, we might have taken our foot off the gas. Like, if, it, if this this team needs uh, targets, it needs to be in things um, because the focus sometimes, like, you know, it seeps out. Uh, and I think Arteta is going to want to win this. I think that we're a, I think we're a cup team, if anything. And I think we've got a lot of players coming back into form. And um, I'm hoping that we go there with a strong team, do the business in the first leg so that we can rest players for, for, for the return one, the return one, going to Greece for the next one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, I, and I, I've got, I, I can't, I can admit I had some nightmares, you know, about, you know, going out to away goals without having played, you know, a, a, an actual home game uh, in this leg. So, you know, thinking back to, you know, the Bayern, the Monaco's in, in the days gone by gone by when we're, you know, going out on away goals with a nice plucky, you know, second leg uh, performance, but not quite um, doing enough. So, um, Shell, and I'll come to you uh, for this part as well, because I feel like you've you've had a look at some a couple of their um, players. So I think their striker, um, Darwin Nunes, is someone that you have mentioned um, Arsenal should look at um, in the past. So do you want to tell um, us a bit more about, about him and what, what sort of... Um, problems he might cause us yeah he, he's, he's a bit of a mobile target man so he, he he can drop in um to combine but he can also look to stretch in behind he's quite good in the air as well um so I, I mean he's he's not got the greatest stats but um i mean he's still young he's still developing so it will just be someone we have to watch out for same with um pedrino so they've got quite a few you know decent youngsters they've been a bit hit and miss in the league this year but they also have, you know, old school guys like Adol Taraps, Jan Vertonghen. So, you know, some real, some real throwback names as well. So it's just one of those ones. I think, like Pete said, we can't afford um, to be complacent. We probably need to. Uh, it, is, it is a tough one because we have Man City on Sunday. So the recovery time is very short. So we play, obviously, Thursday night. 
probably not going to fly back to Friday. You know, um, obviously they'll rest for the rest of Friday, probably train on Saturday and then the game's on Sunday. So it's, uh, I don't know if he's going to play the same team for both games. You might see, you know, two or three changes. I think you probably need to anyway, just the period we're entering now, we're going to be playing every two to three days. Because um, obviously we're not really at the point either in the league where we can, you know, throw in the league season either. So, um, so he still has to be seen to take both competitions seriously. So, um, but you know, we had some people, Pepe was, like you said, he was entering some decent form. So if there's subtle rotation, I, I, I think that will be good as well. So, um, cause yeah, um, City is going to be an immensely hard game on, um, on Sunday as well. So, but if, if you were to ask me, I think you might see one or two changes tomorrow. It wouldn't surprise me if you saw Pepe or Martinelli start, um, and maybe I, I saw Tini's back in training. I don't know if he'll start tomorrow, but if he doesn't start tomorrow, he'd probably play against City, I reckon. So, but I reckon, yeah, probably one change in the forward line and um, maybe a change at the back as well. Mm. Yeah, very good, very good. And Dan, I think on that final point that Sean mentioned um, on Kieran Tierney, so there was some injury updates today from Arteta. He said Party is still training um, individually. And then uh, Tierney is in the squad for this, but he's only had one training session. So if you're in Arteta's shoes here, how do you, you know, pick that pick that left back spot? You know, in this game uh, with City on the horizon as well. I think I'd be very cautious um, utilizing Tierney straight. Um, um, I'm straight after just having one training session. Um, I get the importance of this game. Um, um, but as Pete mentioned, uh, I don't think Benfica are in the greatest of place themselves. And I think we should have enough really to um, put them away, um, even without Tierney. Um, and um, the last few matches, or, or last few matches, I don't think we played particularly bad. The league results against Villa and Wolves obviously are not acceptable, but I, I saw decent things and Tierney didn't play in those, in, in those matches. And against Leeds, I think we had a good approach to the game and uh, created a lot of chances and situations. So I think we can do similar against Benfica. And um, also without Tini, so I'll be very, I'll be very cautious utilizing them and playing them in this game, even even given that um, the importance of this game. Um, I think Cedric is in, in a decent rhythm. I wouldn't say great form or anything, but he's been playing, he's been um, competing, um, he's in a decent rhythm. Um, so I, I would go with him as well. He's Portuguese as well, right? So it kind of fits playing him. So yeah, yeah, very good. Um, and I feel like you know uh, this match is quite important for Mikel Arteta. You know, going out in the last 16 last year to Olympiacos, I think is a big, you know, sort of black mark on his record. You know, despite that FA Cup win, um, I feel like that probably um, bought him a lot of goodwill. That And this that Olympiacos performance would have probably come under a lot more scrutiny um, if we weren't, uh, if we didn't pick up that FA Cup win, you know. So um, I guess in looking at this Europa League uh, competition this season, Pete, um, what do you think is the minimum requirement for Arteta this season? And do you feel like if, you know, we, we, the, the unthinkable happens now and we do go out again um, in the round of, what, uh, 32 um, in the Europa League, uh, that could mean, you know, uh, he get, he's closer to, to getting the sack? I don't think there's any circumstance in which Arteta gets the sack for anything that happens this season. And... You know, I, I don't think there are many clubs of Arsenal's size that would have let Arteta get away with that run um, just before Christmas. But I, I think that quite a lot of chairmen and CEOs, uh, top football clubs, are looking at this season and saying, 
it's very difficult to make any judgments. Like like Jurgen Klopp uh, looks lost with this Liverpool side at the moment. Jose Mourinho, for all of his experience, is what two points ahead of us in the Premier League. Like Arsenal, despite having a, you know, one of the worst seasons that I can ever remember, we're still within spitting distance of top four this season. So I don't think anything that happens in the Europa League is going to be a, a black mark against his name from a Vinay Edu perspective. But I think Arteta will want to win this trophy. And I think one of the problems that we've had this season is we we haven't really had a like just 10 good games. You know, there hasn't been a breakout where you've been like, we've been good in the league and we've been good in the Europa League. And Arteta really needs a run to secure belief with the fans. And I think that, that this competition is more about the fans. Like Unai Emery um, got to the final. Uh, Arsene Wenger got really close. I think that he'll want a good run. And like looking at the teams, like there's no one that I really fear. I mean, Leicester City, for all of the good stuff they've done in the, in, in the league this season, are very beatable, in, in my opinion. Uh, United uh, are great on their day, but I think Arteta is is a better coach than um, than Solskjaer, and the the European teams. I just think the Premier League is so strong, so I think he'll want a, a big performance tomorrow. If we play like we played um, in the last three games for the full ninety against Benfica, we're coming out winners two three nil. But it just depends which team turns up. But like mm. my my thing my thing with this squad, they they need something to play for. And Champions League money next season is is a big thing for those guys. They'll be hungry for those bonuses. They'll want to be back in that prestigious competition. So I think I'm hoping that we're just going to see a continuation of of the good things that we've seen over the last month or so. Mm, for sure, for sure. Dan, do you want to add anything add anything to that on um, how much this game means? I think for for Arteta's tenure. I think um, and, and comparing this a bit to last season, where in the league it looked gloomy again. Um, and um, we didn't have much to play for in the league. Granted, we have more to play for this season because everyone is sort of inconsistent. So, um, but yeah, and the FA Cup run was um, was a real of was a real Arsenal are getting getting together to try and achieve something. And uh, as Pete touched on, I think they can replicate the same sort of feeling, the same sort of atmosphere for the Europa League. Um, so um, I think they need to obviously start this with a win. Um, um, no questions asked. Um, start with a win. Get the away goals. And that will make the second tie much easier. Then manage the second tie, and then um, look at look into the next round. Um, I, I think I also think this is a very winnable competition. I think the only team that I would say worries me a little bit potentially is United, um, but they are inconsistent. Um, so whilst they worry me, I know we can beat them, and I've, we I think in the last four or five matches that we played against them, we actually haven't lost. So we kind of have their number at the moment. So. I think I look I, I Inter still in the Europa League. I think they are as well. But um, again, this is a team where I think if you have the right right approach against them, because I watch Syria sometimes. If you have the right approach against them and don't grant them too much space in transition, they're not that good as well. So um, yeah, I think we have good chances of winning this. We just need to put a consecutive run of games um together that and they give us that momentum like we did for the FA Cup last season. So yeah, basically try to do the same thing again. Um. Yeah, fair, fair play, fair play. Um, and I feel like, uh, Sean, um, if we if we come to you for this uh, next point, um, I feel like one of, you know, the my main criticisms of um, Arteta this season has been sort of his, I guess, inconsistent treatment of certain players, right? Um, so I think last season, 
Ainsley Maitland-Niles, uh, he started the first few games under Arteta playing this sort of right-back hybrid centre midfield role. Um, and he played quite well. And in the moment he, you know, I think was culpable for a goal against Sheffield United, I believe. Um, and I think he might have come late to training or something like that. He was out of the team, right? Um, and then we've seen how, you know, the relationship has been with uh, Matteo Guendouzi. You know, there's talk, been talks about free strikes and you're out kind of thing. And then, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you don't think it's very likely that, you know, Genduzzi's brought back into the fold. However, um, I guess one player that I think most Arsenal fans are sort of can, are, are sort of in agreement um, has not worked out is uh, the the favela, you know, king uh, in in Willian here. Uh, you know, the chinchilla, the chinchilla driller. You know, um, he 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 seems to um, have Brazilian, put... Brazilian Frank Lucas. <laughs> Right. Um, he seems to have struggled for any sort of form and confidence, you know. Um, what opinions about Leon uh, before us signing him? I think all can agree that he wasn't this bad at Chelsea, etc. Um, but, you know, this is someone who um, has also broken the rules behind the scenes as well, that uh, unsolicited, unapproved un, um, trip to Dubai, etc. This is someone who still finds themselves um, in and around that first team He's coming on the on, off the bench before the likes of Martinelli, before the likes of Pepe in the last game. Um, what do you think the reasoning is why this guy um, keeps getting picked? And you know, do we think there's a scenario here where he could potentially be sold in summer? Um, so, so I think Arteta is just yeah, he's trying to flog a dead horse at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like he he really put his like master the cells on this guy, so he's he's trying to die on this hill. Um, but he really needs to stop because one, um, he does even look like he fits into the team. Do you know what I mean? In terms of what we're doing at the moment, you see with ESR or the guard sack of the combinations that we had against Leeds, he just he just drains the energy. Like you saw when he came on against Leeds, it was just kind of like, oh, this guy again. Like when Pepe and Martinelli were on the bench that you could have easily brought on. I just, it's just you just need to let it go. You know, in life, sometimes you can, you can just get stuff wrong in it. Like, and he's got, he's got, he's got this, him and Edu have both gotten this badly, badly wrong. You need to swallow your pride, accept, and just try and get rid of this guy. I don't know if they're going to be able to, because of the money he's on. He's 32. He's very comfortable in London. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to get rid, but he needs to, he needs to, and he needs to stop bringing him on. Uh, people are saying he's got, I don't know if there's an appearance clause um, that he gets paid, like in terms of weekly, um, appearances, but yeah, I, it's it's inexplicable why why he gets because he's he's barely contributed. Um, he's not had any. I mean, Fulham was the main goal contribution he had this season, and he's been generally. You know, when Arteta talks about non negotiables, but he's he's been crap for so long. Like, you know, um, the 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 amount of chances you've given him, and uh, it, it'd be understandable if this was a young player. You know, this was a, an experienced player that wasn't that was supposed to come in not need any time to adapt that was supposed to contribute um supposed to be a senior statesman contribute goals and assists for us and he's he's been out of garbage man he's just been absolutely absolutely terrible and he's been shown up by so so many players um i just i hope we can get rid i don't know if we can but um but yeah he, he he needs to he needs to get rid i, I know he's, he's, he's probably trying to play him to get him into a bit of form and in a bit of confidence but i don't see it happening 
Yeah, and and Pete, yeah, just it would be good to get your thoughts on on I guess the Willian signing and and I guess even the way Arteta's using him. Do you think you know he's he's actually playing him in ways to get the best out of the type of player that Willian is? Yeah, I, I think that you know there are always going to be teething problems with uh, with a new manager. Arteta's addiction is players that are over the age of thirty. Uh, you know, he I think his initial plan after winning the FA Cup was he'd get a couple of senior players in. He'd shortcut his way to the top four uh, and lift the Champions League in a few years' time. He completely forgot what it's like to be a player in your 30s. Someone should have asked Arteta, what were you thinking about when you were 32 years old? And it was his coaching badges. It was how he was going to get into management. It wasn't about lifting the Champions League at 35 years old. He was there for the retirement um, and even the way that we signed Willian up, um, he had no other choices in London. Chelsea were only going to give him um, uh, uh, the same deal for two years. We doubled his money. Um, th- there was there was no leverage in it. It was a shocking deal start to, start to finish. And you know more people should be talking about um, like how that happened, but we're not. There's no chance that anybody in the world is going to pick him up. He's here um, until the end of that contract. And the difficulty that happened with Arteta was we made him manager in the summer. And when you become a manager, it's not just about your coaching and who you put out on the pitch. It becomes about your taste because he went to the board and he said, you should sanction 250 grand a week for this player. His taste is on the line and he's, he's, he's already shifted on Ozil at 350 grand a week. They've severed ties with a whole bunch of players and it starts to look like Arteta is the problem. So he's going to try and play him into form. But he should. someone like Edu should say, no, you need to invest in players that want to be here. You need to invest in players that are going to have some sort of long-term value. Nicolas Pepe might not be a player. He really might not be. But I tell you what, we might be able to take his value from 20 million to 40 million because he's young enough, right? He's got a lot of talent. Gabriel Martinelli is the future at Arsenal. Why is he not getting minutes in games like this? And this is one of the problems that Arteta has. When you set guiding principles, you have to stick by them. Not when you're, you know, like William going to Dubai to have a steak with Salt Bay was disgraceful, but he didn't get punished. You know, uh, Ainsley has one bad game and now he's at West Brom playing for Sam Allardyce. And to the outside world, it's like, where are, like, where, where are the standards here? Why, why are there no standards for William? Why is David Luiz constantly allowed to make mistakes and get right back in the team. And then there's talk of a new deal. And I think that that's probably the biggest weakness in his game. Um, but uh, I, I think that uh, William, I really, really, really hope that the reason that we saw William at the weekend was because Pepe and Martinelli are playing tomorrow night. Because if William is in that starting 11, it, it, like, it rankles the fans. And the, here's the thing, Arteta is going to suffer next season if he does that. Uh, if, if he keeps Gabriel or Pepe on the bench for William, because the fans won't tolerate it. So I think this mm. is a, a PR exercise, as well as, you know, it's it's a performance thing, because he, he never plays well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for sure. I, I 100% agree with that um, sentiment. And I think when you mentioned the taste, you, should, you would have noticed the big grins um, going around the room here, because, you know, uh, we've we've been in the WhatsApps, you know, uh, in, in the trenches, sort of questioning Arteta's taste uh, ever since the summer. So, you know, you're definitely resonating uh, with us here I, as I well. Will say, I, I will say one thing, though. You did mention, like, there, there, are, there are certain things that fans don't hear about. 
right? So, you know, we all know what's going on with William because we, we saw the Salt Bay story. But huh. there, there, are, there are young players that have gone out on loan that were problematic behind the scenes. Like, there were attitude issues behind the scenes. Matteo Guendozzi, don't even think about it. Like he, is, he, is a, he is not a nice person. He's, he's a, he's, he's, there are so many stories that I hear behind mm. the scenes about how terrible he is. If Arsenal can get 20 million for him in the summer, they'll be doing laps around Colney. Uh, so he won't be coming back in. Like he's a problem that should be ousted. But mm. I do think that there are a lot of people in and around Arsenal. Like there's a there's hope for Maitland Niles and the fact that El Nenny gets a chance over Maitland Niles. I don't think anybody can really see the logic in that. But players like Wendozi, like in the bin. Mm. Sure, fair enough, fair enough. And I feel like it'd be good to hear your thoughts, Pete, on you know what the key priorities are. Um, for summer. So um, in the part one of this, uh, Dan mentioned, you know, prioritise, Dan and Sean both mentioned prioritising central midfield, um, potentially looking at an upgrade on Bellerin and then also um, a left winger if we are looking to play um, Aubameyang centrally. So it'd be good to hear your thoughts on, you know, sort of what the key transfer priorities should be for Arsenal in this this summer uh, coming up. Because I think as well, um, whether it was Ornstein uh, today that said that the the summer plans um, have already been uh, been laid out, and so the club are already making those movements to sort of strengthen the squad uh, in the summer. Yeah, I think the I, I think that you, you guys are absolutely right. Like set a, a top quality centre midfielder, I think is going to be uh, the, the the priority. Um, you know, Granite Xhaka has been good lately and he's not he's not my favorite he's not a lot of Arsenal fans cup of tea uh, but we we can't have you know we can't rely on a center midfielder that doesn't have mobility this system needs uh quick passes I think I was listening to your your podcast the other day and um someone mentioned players that can pass around corners um like we, we need a we need a top quality center midfielder that can run with the ball um someone that's going to give power and energy and, and add a little bit of class to what we're doing I think we need a backup left back and uh, I think Martin Odegaard is the plan for next season on loan if we can't buy him this summer. And I, I would love to hear your guys' take on it, but I, I feel like um, a number nine um, should be a priority because it feels like every sort of player that we have that can play in that striker role misses something. Like if you could amalgamate Lacazette and Aubameyang, you'd kind of have something that looked like it was heading in the right direction. But I really feel like we lack... Um, we lack someone that can act like a target man, um, someone with power and pace that can hold off defenders. Um, so I, I'd like to hear what you guys think about uh, like a number nine or, or something. Mm. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I just think it depends on how you want to play, right? So um, I can see us going for a target man in that sort of uh, dominant Calvert-Lewin mould. Um, I do like the player. I'm not quite sure whether he's at the level to play for Arsenal, um, but this season he's de- definitely been in goal in the goals and displaying some of those, um, I guess, some of those qualities. Um, but for for me, I do really like Aubameyang in 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 the number nine. I feel like there's different ways of playing um, striker, and I really quite like the fact that you know Aubameyang is always on the blind side of defenders. He doesn't really have to get you know. In, in and physical and play with his back to goal. Like, I think you saw it in that Leeds game um, and in moments in the Aston Villa second half as well, that he's always in a position to score 
and the players around him are sort of fulfilling that target man-ish role. Like they're the ones who are, you know, set in play, bringing runners uh, through and um, and creating chances. And I feel like, you know, we've given Aubameyang this big contract now. Now let's, let's at least give him one full season playing um, as the number nine, the main guy, because we've given him the money that says he's the main guy. So let's at least do that for one full season and then bring the players around him. And then when he's got one year left, we can then look to to fill that number nine uh, number nine role. So, um, Dan, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, I think I think he touched on some good points there. And I think Aubameyang has some very obvious deficiencies um, uh, as a striker, but he also has some very obvious strengths. And um, and the last couple of years, is without a doubt shown that he's one of the elite marksmen in Europe. Um, his his ability to 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 find space and then actually make the space. So today I was watching Holland and um again Sevilla and Abamming has similar a similar quality that is pulling the defender a bit deeper and then spinning in behind and the defender just can't keep up with him. His speed is is is, is another level. Um, so he can't keep up with him. And um, if we have so in order to in order to get the best out of Abamming and which is what they did at Dortmund as well is. You need to have a lot of technical and high touch players, um, high touch players around them. Sheon touched on this earlier, and I think the way we set up against Leeds is the formula for getting the best out of him and um, having the ball for sustained periods in the final third. And if we have the ball for sustained period in the final third, another great quality of Aubameyang is that he does a lot of runs. Like if you really just watch Aubameyang, he does a lot of runs or starts a lot of movements and runs. And very in very quick succession and does it over and over. He repeats so many movements, he keeps the defenders on their toes. And um, the difference between Lacazette and him is really that Lacazette doesn't do that. Lacazette a lot of times comes short, um, it comes to feet, or he tries to lay off their move off the ball. Um, Abamia is, is, is different, he's a different type of threat, and you can't tell where he's going or which direction he's going to go to. So as long as you have the capability of having the ball in our final third. And um, putting the pressure on the defense and destabilizing them um, and in different areas and different zones, he can then uh, find space that becomes um, available as a result of your of your technical uh, football. So I, I think we need to look at this blueprint and then try um, try basically find the best players possible for this. Um, uh, we've mentioned Udegaard. I think I'm a big big fan of Udegaard. I, I really like what he, what he does. Um, we've we've seen in the Leeds game under pressure, he's very good. We've not seen that for for so long that we have a player in the in between the lines that takes the ball with a man on and wants the ball with a man on. So th- those are the type of players that we need to recruit. Um, I know this is a shot in the dark. We mentioned him before, Grealish. If we can get Grealish on the left hand side, this is what we need. And then I would have ESR as a rotation option. I would have Udegaard, Grealish, ESR, Saka, all behind Aubameyang versus Hayton, and then playing technical football in Aubameyang finding the pockets of space and finding the space and behind the, the defensive line. And, and Sean, uh, do you want to get in on this conversation? Uh, like, what would you do? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with what Dan said, I think, and, and what you said as well, Dan. I think we're just at a point now, Aubameyang's 32. He's not at an age where we want him doing shuttle runs up and down the left wing. You need to condense, you know, the space that he moves. And so, you know, in and around the 18-yard the penalty box, 
And, and, and that's what people need to remember. We didn't buy him because he was a left winger. We bought him because he was a top marksman as a number nine for Dortmund. And like you said, he was at Dortmund. I think he had some of his best his best season when he was surrounded by Mkhitaryan, Usman Dembele and Royce, you know, very high touch, high volume technical players who had a lot of good combination play in and around the penalty box. And he's, at, for me, I've always said Aubameyang is very similar to Cavani. These aren't guys who, you know, have a lot of confrontation with centre-backs, but um, they go in and around. You know, I, I think... People now, they're so very hung up on um, a hold-up centre-forward. Like, you know, the striker has to hold up the ball. Like There are various different ways to play the number nine. Obviously, I'm not comparing Aubameyang to Henri, but Henri spent so much time out on the left, you know. He was always rotating with Pires Cole. And, you know, you had Dennis Burkamp dropping deep. So there were times there, you know, sometimes centre-backs weren't marking anybody when they were playing Arsenal. And I think that's Arsenal at their most dangerous, you know, when you have a fluid, dynamic front line, players interchanging, players moving in and off the ball. And it's why I'm a big fan of Emil Smith-Rowe. If you look to the first goal against Leeds, um, Emil Smith-Rowe comes in off the flank, he combines, and um, Aubameyang moves, in, he goes into that left half-space position that um, Emil Smith-Rowe was in, and then he had a free run at um, the centre-back. And so, yeah, you know, I think... The most important thing is just to get him into regular goal-scoring positions. I think, for me, I know Aubameyang is playing well when he's getting chances. I'm more worried about Aubameyang when he's not getting chances. And I think um, of recent, um, he's, he's been getting a lot of chances, you know what I mean? So we're finding him in areas where he can be effective. So for me, yeah, it's all about um, getting him in, focusing on the, um, in and around the 18-yard box. And I think he'll, he'll be very, very dangerous for us going forward. And I expect that be, to be the case. It's all about creativity for me anyway. So I think that's been our biggest weakness. And um, since obviously Emil Smith-Rowe's coming and now Odegaard's coming in as well. So we're seeing a lot more, you know, just combinations, good combinations. Like that lineup on uh, against Leeds, it really reminded me of like, you know, a Wenger ball lineup, you know, where you just had loads of good technicians coming in. And I think if you want to play or aspire to play the sort of football that we're looking to do, then, then you need to have those sorts of players. Do you know what I mean? Especially when you're looking to pin people back in and sustain pressure for long periods of time. So, yeah. Very good, very good. And I feel like if we just take a step away from um, the football inside of things, um, I feel like there's been some some negative PR uh, surrounding Arsenal uh, in the, the week just gone. Um, I think firstly, there was a suggestion that there were, Arsenal were set to make further redundancies um, on top of the you know 55 uh, people that they made redundant um, earlier in the summer. Um, I think the Arsenal announcement said that it was uh, with a view to sort of con- consolidating their their like match day um, experience. So, um, and and I feel the Arsenal supporters trust uh, came out uh, very heavily against this. And I think um, you know the clubs had to put out a few more uh, statements uh, to sort of clarify the issue. And then um, secondly, I think not just Arsenal in this case, but um, I think they're probably the highest profile club uh, involved here. Um, I think there's, there's been a move to um, ban uh, sports sports betting or the clubs clubs being able to promote sports betting from their um, sort of official accounts um, uh, in, in lieu of, you know, sort of Arsenal. I think they've had a recent uh, partnership with sportsbet.io and they've been doing out on match days, you know, tweeting out various odds, uh, this, that, and the other to, I guess, their, their millions of followers on on Twitter, um, and that that has definitely come uh, under a lot of um, negative press. So, Pete, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on sort of, you know, whether this whole thing about Arsenal being this classy club 
um, and, and carrying themselves as, you know, pillars of the community, whether that seems to have just been lost um, in recent years or, you know, whether, you know, they're coming under sort of un unfair or undue criticism uh, in these areas. I, it's, I, think it's, um, I think it's a really difficult subject because uh, on the one hand, they're probably making redundancies of jobs that literally have no purpose. Um, and that's part of what happens in a capitalist society, um, unfortunately. And um, football clubs are have been hit really hard through this period. You know, we had to take out a big loan. It's not helped though when you go out and you give a three-year deal to William. That's the that's the problem, you know. Uh, so it's like they talk out of both sides of their mouth. Um, with, with regards to the redundancy that they backed off, like it, you know, it's nice that supporters groups have the ability to stop people getting made redundant. But can you imagine being that guy right now, knowing mm. that you're there because the fans bullied the club into keeping you there? Like, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about it. Like, it feels like a nice win. But if I had to go into work every day, knowing that the, the bullet was waiting for me at some point when no one was paying attention, perhaps after a win or something like that, I don't know how I feel. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's always going to be restructures. I think the... Um, I, I, I think that a lot of the restructuring is literally because the game is, it, it, it has, has changed and, you know, we're taking out loans. So, and then on the, what was the second one? Um, the betting. Yeah. Yeah. I think sport, sports betting is like, uh, you know, it's fun, but I think it can be quite corrosive. Like if anybody's known someone in their family or in their friend circle, that's had a, a gambling addiction, like it ruins families, man. And I, I know the, everybody's entitled to do what they want around betting, but um, it, it, game the way it's gamified now, um, I, I think that, you know, if you if you want to be seen as a classy club, it's probably a classy move not to promote those sorts of things, but they just put so much money into the game. I think mm. that and it's like, if, if we want to see the best footballers in the world, sometimes you have to dance with the devil sort of thing. So um, again, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a difficult one, but I prefer not to see it on the Arsenal feed. Yeah. Yeah, agree. Yeah, I, I was going to say on the on the betting one. Um, if the last couple of years, or under Ivan Gonzalez, people were very, very critical of Arsenal not maximizing the partnership portfolio, not maximizing commercial opportunities. And then, um, if you have a betting company coming and offering you a, a lot of money for um, partnership rights, they're fairly easy to do, like tweeting and and with the with that with the adding or tweeting assets with with them being um, plastered all over it. Then, um, then that's an easy deal for Arsenal to do and difficult to turn down. Also, given the financial situation, a lot of clubs find themselves in. So I think Arsenal are going to have a bit of a discrepancy here because obviously the redundancy stuff is not great and, and being in a capitalist society, this is the type of stuff that will happen. Some of these jobs are just, they're not, they're not doing their job because you can't go into the stadium. Um, it's just that that part of football is not there at the moment. Um, but where, where it becomes critical for Arsenal then has been when you have to start paying partners back because you can't fulfill contractual obligations. Because if we are not allowed to tweet their, their stuff out, that means we're not fulfilling the contractual obligation. What is the value of that? We, that What's the value of what we're not delivering to this partner now? And then, yeah, we will, we will lose money on that side as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very touchy and also difficult subject, to be honest. Um, because ultimately it's all about survival. Um, I, I would say I'm a bit of a Darwinist maybe in this in this regard, but it really is about survival. So, And uh, a lot of clubs are struggling. You, you saw what happened with uh, Olympic Lyon today, uh, announcing big, big losses. Um, yeah, it's difficult. Um, Dortmund as well, announcing big, big losses. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't know how they're going to weather the storm. 
Mm, yeah, and I think I think on the, on the betting front, right? I find that it is um, it's just a very funny subject, right? Because you can just pick holes in every single sort of argument that people put across, right? Because you know, I think the EFL banned, and um, they said, you know, I, I don't know, I think they gave a time frame by when um, all the clubs you know, have to get rid of their, you know, betting sponsors, etc. But, you know, the clubs are all playing in the Skybet Championship or, you know, uh, Skybet League One and League Two. Um, you know, if if three quarters of the, the, the Premier League teams are, you know, playing with gambling sponsors on their shirts when you're watching the match, you know, what additional harm does, you know, an extra tweet from the football account actually do kind of thing. So it seems a bit, you know, performative um, from my perspective, just because it's like, well, yeah, people have complained about these tweets, so we're going to ban these tweets, but we're not actually going to do anything about, you know, who we allow to sponsor clubs, who we allow to sponsor the leagues, who we allow to, you know, throw adverts on because Sky Sports, um, you know, they've got a betting company that that is a like, you know, um, a, 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 a sister a sister company. It's under the same uh, umbrella. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, it's all well and fine being told. Um, clubs being told, yes, you can't do X, Y, and Z. And you know, the the businesses that underline and provide and pile the money into uh, the sport um, are part of the the, the business that they're they're stopping promote like stopping promoting. So, you know, it's a it's definitely one I think to watch uh, and see how it develops in the future. But I think as it currently stands, um, I think it's 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 a it's 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 a performative action. I think from from my perspective, yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a really good point there, Dan, because it's like where, where does it where does it stop? You can find holes in lots of companies. Like the, mm. the 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 Rwanda sponsorship came with concerns as well. You know, Paul Kagami doing some things that like don't jive with certain people. But it's like, how far do you take the the, the judgment of the, all these things? I do think that if with the with the betting thing, it's it's you have to look at it i think you have to look at it holistically you're right just taking away tweets probably isn't quite the right thing but it it feels like a start mm. for sure for sure um and i think final finally uh some news that came out today um thierry Henry uh being the favorite to uh join bournemouth as their new ma- manager to replace um Jason Till, I think, is is, is the, the name of the, the leaving Bournemouth manager. Um, Sheldon, I'll go to you here. Like, what do you think about the potential of Henri managing uh, back in England and being in the Championship? Because I think as well, Vieira was on the shortlist um, for Bournemouth and I think he's interviewed with them. So, you know, either one of them uh, being back in the Prem, in, well, being back in the uh, English leagues might be uh, very interesting. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it could be good to watch, but listen, Omri was quite a big failure at Monaco. He hasn't done too, too well at Montreal Impact. Now, listen, I love Omri. I love Patrick Vieira. I love Dennis Burkamp. So seeing those guys not do well, like it just upsets me, like just generally. And it's partly why I never want any of them to ever manage Arsenal because I don't ever want to have to say anything bad about them if anything goes tits up. So yeah, I love you. Please just, you know, just, do punditry like just just so I don't, just just so like you don't yeah like obviously they're entitled to do whatever they want to do and if they if they obviously whatever managerial roles they do do I hope they do well but yeah I kind of feel like just the personality on re is it kind of just clashes with people and it just rubs people up the wrong way like 
and I get it. Like he was so good that like other people's shitness, it, it just doesn't comprehend. Like he struggles to comprehend it. Do you know what I mean? So, but yeah, the way he is, like I just yeah, I don't think it's conducive to management. Um, and yeah, I just if it comes, obviously I hope he does well, but. I, I can't, I just don't think it will go that well. Um, Patrick Vieira is probably not as volatile as an individual, but he got sacked from Nice. Um, I don't know how he, he did, did he do that well when he was in New York? Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. I just wish we could just give them some sort of ambassadorial roles. They could come back to the club, you know, sort of similar to how it is at Bayern Munich where, you know, we can get them on the board doing, doing something yeah. relevant. But yeah, I just, yeah, them them failing as managers upsets me, and um, yeah, I don't ever want any of them to manage Arsenal ever. Yeah, do you know what the thing is? Yeah, it scares me the the prospect of I'm really coming and not doing well potentially at Arsenal or any club really because um, listen, I, I I'll be honest, I tell you, I was very quick to criticize them when I didn't see things I when I saw things I didn't like. I had no I had no reservation at all. I was I was shouting that out very 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 fast when he when he's doing a lot of nonsense, but. With Henri, I, I wouldn't be able to do that, you know. Like I just think um, it's, it's, it's a similar situation as with, with, with what it was with Wenger for a lot of fans. Um, you just have too much of an attachment to 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 to, to those, to those um, key figures. And I think what you said, Sean, that that I think that's something that Arsenal really should do, like um, utilizing those 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 players with with big names and reputations and and um, and connections in the game. In, in different roles, not necessarily. I wouldn't say maybe I'm, 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 as an ambassador. I would say maybe um, helping us identify players or being part of some sort of technical team that that um, goes out and gets players. I think uh, I look at Maldini uh, at um, um, AC Milan. Um, obviously, Bayern Munich um, have Oli Khan now um, uh, as part of the leadership group and Hassan Salihamidzic. So, of course, those players have to do the the necessary ex- experience. I have to do the necessary courses and. I saw quite a funny picture Oli Khan doing a Harvard course with a load of NBA players and um and NFL players. But I think if 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 we could get some of our legends to do that type of stuff, um, I think that would very help very much help um grow 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 and um help the, the club grow and bring the Arsenal identity and um and um yeah, basically get get players in. Um we have a lot of pull um through these players. Mm. Pete, I don't know. Um if you want to add anything to to that before you have to to shoot off, yeah, I, like Thierry Henry uh, at Bournemouth managing Jack Wilshire in centre midfield, like I love I love the idea of it, and I, I hope that he does well. But I, I agree with you guys; it's it's going to end in tears. He's not uh, he's he was too good. He's too he was too good as a player to be a manager, and it's a shame. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening, and thank you uh, for joining us. Um, as I said, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the platform, Pete. Um, do you want to let the listeners know where they can find you and how they can uh, hear more of your opinions? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. You can find me uh, uh, at Legrove on Twitter or legrove.co.uk for the uh, for the blog. Perfect. Um, thank you. Um, and so, guys, make sure um, you s- subscribe to the Touch Touchline Fracas uh, YouTube page where we're releasing lots and lots more um, visual content and also you can tune into the Discord lives during every single um, Big Six match. 
Um, you're missing a lot of good content if you're not subscribed to that, man. There's a there's a lot of blood of enemies being spilt in recent weeks, and you'll be missing all the banter if you're not subscribed. Um, make sure you follow um, Touchy Gooners on Twitter and Instagram as well, um, and subscribe to the Patreon if you want more um, exclusive content from us as well. Um, thank you for listening, and see you guys uh, after Benfica. to 2-2 and we've still got more than half an hour to go and here's Ozil, Lacazette, Ozil! Yo! This is a Baby, welcome to the party. I'm off the Myers in the lean, that's why I'm over retarded. That's why I'm over retarded. Baby, welcome to the party. Huh? I hit the boy up and then I go skate in a Rari. Baby, welcome to the party. Pick some of that. Give me lit. Give me lit. Gun on my head. One in the head. Podcast Network.